So oh, no. even he's though my kind of man, <laughs> cute and stinky. <laughs> and I have to hold this stupid chew stick for him so that he can be calm. So this is this is what we've going got going on. Right oh my now. goodness! Yeah, Benjamin, don't you think he's cute? I don't want a dog. Do you think he's cute? But he loves you, Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, it's a trick. It's all a trick. It is a trick. It's it is. It it's is. They come it's an into your house. Yeah. They come into your house and ruin your life. Don't fall for it. Is that how it's you're feeling trick. this week? That's it's a trick. Now, I adore him. He's, I mean, he's bringing me a lot of joy, but he is definitely putting my house into chaos because I don't just have to manage him. I have to manage my other dog's reactions to him. Mm. And my other dog is regressing in response to having a puppy in the house. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a full-time job going on over here. It's like there are stages to puppy ownership. Like falling in love and then being disgusted and then like (laughs) trying to fall back in love. And I don't know. I haven't had a puppy in a long time. I'm definitely in love, but now and then I'm just like, oh my God, please. Like, I just, I just wish I could like sort of have him orbit the condo for a few hours a day and (laughs) me not have to see him or interact with him. He can, Dog float he can cool. float above. Yeah. Oh, that's creative. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It's Monday, January 22nd, and uh, we have Benjamin Boyce with us. Hello, Benjamin. Hello, hello, Thank hello. Thank you for joining us. Um, we have, we, we have a, a, a topic for today that we wanted to discuss. Um, uh, Jason Bradley makes these fantastic videos about... What would you say there about, I would say social engineering, kind of showing the connections between things. Benjamin, you have a... A historical overview of uh, top-down globalist government. Okay, that's a better way to say it. They're fantastic. They're excellently done. I was going to, uh, I was hoping to bring him on to talk with us, but he couldn't make it this time. So um, I, you know, seem like we've all been watching these or have watched the one that I suggested anyway. And so something to talk about. And this one was about uh, population and birth control. And so I'm excited to get into that. But first, do Jennifer or Deborah, do one of you want to tell everybody who we are? You have the oh, verbiage, but I don't have it. Do you have it, Jennifer? I need to do it next time. I will. I will pull it up. So, because I don't know, I don't know who we are unless I look it up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leslie, uh, you should link the uh, Jason's work either in the description or in chat. I don't have that power right now. But oh it's yeah, everybody shook. Oh, is, good idea. Yeah, you too. I'll do that everybody right now. Shook. Do- everybody shook, and that's on Twitter and also on YouTube. Yeah, his videos are, they're interesting. Um, Okay, so Solid Ground is a peer support community dedicated to helping people navigate the divisive impacts of oppressive ideologies such as critical social justice. And we have three peer support groups per week, which are very delightful. You can join a peer support group for just $5 a month, and you can find us at solidgroundsupport.com. And nothing that we do constitutes therapy or legal advice nor should be construed as such i Ta-da! love the sweet voice you put on when you do that it's like, <laughs> it's like mom answering the phone voice <laughs> i can be very professional when i have to <laughs> well so this the the video that um that i was talking about i i put a link to his youtube channel in the chat and hi, Ray, and hi, Paul. Nice to see you guys. Glad you're here. Um, I didn't link the exact video, but it's called Population, the Birth Birth of Control. And Deborah, you said you watched this and took some notes. What were some things that stood out for you when you watched this video? Oh, gosh. Um, well, he really does a beautiful, I will just say he does a beautiful history. I mean, I was very impressed with the quality of his work both in terms of content and then just the actual uh, filmmaking. And um, he kind of even goes back to the very beginning of even Plato, you know, contemplating sizes of populations, people having thoughts about such matters and um, in eventually the different streams of thought that led to bodies like the UN doing this. And I mean, for me, it was interesting because I both, I was even wondering, you know, 
have some of the measures that have been done, not the co so coercive ones, actually helped raise living standards, you know, for people. Uh, this, it's sort of these trade-offs. And on the other hand, I think one of the things that struck me the most, well, two things that really hit me, we're kind of jumping in the middle. I didn't know Japan had had an overpopulation problem. And in the 60s, because of these measures of trying to reduce population, like half of pregnancies were aborted. Um, that in was Japan? a shocking, in Japan. Oh my gosh. That, yeah. or, or stopped, I'm mean, imagining it's abortion mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Like that shocked me. Um, and then the other thing that really shocked me were the forced sterilizations in India um, mm -hmm. in the 70s. There were over a four year period, I think there were 8 million forced sterilization. I don't know what forced sterilization means. I don't know it means we pin you down. I, I mean, I, or your food is contingent, you know, or something like that. But those are mm -hmm. obviously egregious <laughs> top-down measures to try to control a population. So um, that, those are probably the two things when I thought of anything that just stuck out in my mind as is completely shocking. In California, when they began to sterilize the female prison population, they did it under false pretenses. So I wonder if that's also what they did in India. They would, they would mm -hmm. take them in for some sort of routine checkup and give them a hysterectomy. Um, and uh, the state of state of California eventually uh, paid out to those people. I wonder if it'll do the same thing with uh, the children that they're sterilizing on, under the sake of uh, gender ideology now, but we don't know. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this, I, or I felt a lot of compassion was you can see, you know, those earlier, say there were Bangladesh, right, which when I was growing up was a, a region that was just so poor and you have these families with the, you have these starving children they're all bony you know and you're like gosh you, I mean I can see some motivation to say can we solve this problem right this is just like how can we have people live like this and suffer so much so that that was the other part of it too like um, we might think there's some bad motivations on some of the parts of these people or a big controlling thing. But I can also understand people saying, especially if you have a more developed world where these aren't problems at all, people going, let's see if we can solve it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The one thing that stuck out when I interviewed Jason, I've had him on a couple of times, but the second time we get into the weeds and he's going through the histories and stuff like that and like the psychology behind this. And he, he, um, I don't know if it's if it's a fair critique or or an unfair critique of Peterson Jordan Peterson. He's a Canadian psychologist who's kind of popular on social media. He um, <laughs> he's starting this group called Arc, which is seems to be kind of using the same kind of overarching lingo of like we're going to provide the proper way to establish like liberal values for the world, you know, or be a beacon for you know uh, humanitarian effort. In the right way. And Jason's like, you know, every time you have these humanitarians, they they're they're always trying to do good. And they they go through these steps where they're like, well, okay, all these people are starving in Africa. We have to help the people who are starving in Africa. So they start to feed the people in Africa who are starving, and then there's too many people in Africa all, all of a sudden because they start populating and reproducing. So they now we have to stop them from reproducing. So how are we going to do this? And in the birth of control, I think Jason does bring up like the linguistic tricks around birth control, how that even birth control is a marketed, it's a marketing term for this. You know, it's not eugenics, it's not sterilization, uh, it's family planning, stuff like that. But then what the UN or these governing bodies that want to save the world from itself do is that they will, what we have to do is educate women so that they don't produce more, more babies, you know? So there's this trade-off, like we will give you food and education and then you will adopt our, um, our frame of, uh, of reference, which is that human beings uh, or population is this big deal. And every time these masters of the universe intervene, they're always creating another problem. And then they have to reformulate and go after another problem, reformulate, go after another problem. And to me, what stood out listening to Jason is that the problem is thinking that you can solve the problem. Like that's, that's a huge problem that, that we can end hunger 
And, you know, uh, when Elon Musk, he's uh, this tech entrepreneur, he bought this website <laughs> called Twitter. Um, it's kind of adjacent to YouTube if anybody's online and is watching YouTube um, right now. When he bought Twitter for $44 billion, a lot of the leftists were like, why don't you just end world hunger? Why don't you end world hunger? Like people are starving. You're spending money on a web application. And Elon, well, he replied, show me. I keep on asking people to show me a plan. I will donate or like I'll, I'll spend $10 billion if you can show me how to end hunger. And nobody can ever actually show him the plan to do that. And then I think... My reaction to that, like, why doesn't Bezos, he runs this other web uh, website called Amazon.com, or any of these big guys, whenever we want them to end hunger, like, what I think of is like, well, they'll just destroy population. Because if you just cut off hunger at the source, which is human beings, then you solved world hunger. Like, that's the actual problem, is that we think that we can solve these things that are just part uh, and parcel of how the world runs. And one last uh, comment, and I'll shut up is that the Catholic Church had been doing the same thing, going down into Africa and trying to service these people. But the way that the Catholic Church, and you know, it's got a lot of bad problems to it, it's not a perfect system by any means, but the way that they approach something like poverty is that it's not something that one, a human being solves. It's a part of the human condition. Mm -hmm. And so the, the perspective on, you know, it's not to fix the problem, but to live with the problem, to adjust the problem, and then to see how to manage the problem, which they ultimately lead up to the relationship between the individual and God, and then the structure of the church, you know, with all of the virtues and values. But poverty isn't something to end. You still do good works. You still help the poor and you feed the poor, but you're not trying to end hunger, solve poverty. It's two different, like, ways of looking at the thing and we can get into a conversation about how well the catholic church did or if the catholic church you know thinking about medieval times keeps people in a locked-in framework where they don't try to hyper achieve in a protestant way and if you look at who runs the un who runs the wef it's a bunch of protestants like whether or not they believe in the protestant well you know religion they still have that protestant liberal framework that they are using in order to order the world in their own image. Hmm. Yeah. One of the things that really stood out to me, is kind of what you're, I think, I think it's within what you're saying is the, the idea that there's a cohort of people out there who think that they need to administer to other people and think that they have the answers for how things should be going. And I wonder where does that come from? I mean, we would hear over and over, he's, he's got these quotes throughout this particular piece of research this this video that we're talking about where people are saying we uh we can't support this many people we can't this and and i think well who are you to be supporting any who where did this idea of we support other people we are or the world this, the earth can't the, yeah can't but, support this what's yeah, the calculation exactly i i thought like just even to universities that I went to one of them like the motto is like in the nation service so like there's already the whole point of your education is to be for service and then um another school I went to it was was it change organizations change lives change the world that's like the tagline so mm -hmm. you know this they're saying all this education is really in service of you being a change maker and I'll say in all of the leadership spaces these days um various youth leader, whatever that, I mean, it, it's all on being a change maker and fixing the yeah. world. So it, it, the whole thing is for that. It's all you let's, let's get you set up so you can tell other people how to do things. Well, there's some presumption that things need to be changed <laughs> and you can, you can do it because you're going to learn all this stuff about how to do it. And that's a moral thing to be doing. Mm -hmm. Which evokes the Karl Marx line, philosophers have hitherto sought to understand the world, but their our goal is to change it. Mm. It's that it's that revolutionary spirit, which is a part of progressivism. It is a part of Protestantism. This is a, we're all immersed in it. Mm -hmm. And I think we, we make a lot of assumptions. It just it pops up and we think, well, that's a little too far. But I think we're always thinking in terms of innovation, in terms of metrics, in terms of, you know, 
having a good impact. I, I'm sure that everybody on this channel, like, why do you keep on mm-hmm. coming to do this? I'm trying to have a good impact. Why are you running solid ground to have a good impact? Right. So maybe, maybe the framework's mm-hmm. a little different. You're not trying to change anybody, but you're trying to move the world towards the good. And I think it's all a part. That's the moral framework that facilitates it. And it's really interesting what's going on. The WF, the World Economic Forum, had another gathering in Davos, mm-hmm. and they actually let some dissidents up there to dress them down. And there was a couple of really uh, fascinating speeches, one by Kevin Roberts, who's a part of the Heritage Foundation. Um, and you can find that on his Twitter, where he just says, you guys are the problem. And we, the populists or the, the conservatives are going to look at every single thing that you guys are going to do. We're going to elect, whether it's Trump or the next conservative, we're going to elect him with a mandate to dismantle every single thing that you guys are doing because nobody wants a bunch of unelected bureaucrats running the world. And you're doing a terrible job at it, too. And then also the Argentine, Argentina president got up there and did a really great speech. Actually, somebody did an AI version of it in his voice speaking English, which is a little creepy, but it's word for word the same thing of what he says because you have to listen to the uh, the translator in the original one. And the translator's trying to keep up with him because he's just on fire and he's reading the speech about basically about destroying and dismantling this bureaucratic state that's trying to regulate everything, regulate everything, regulate everything, regulate everything. Although I've heard some, just a side note that he's put a bunch of people in his cabinet that are like regular old bankers and this and that. So I don't, I don't know if he's really you caring don't know. for what he's saying. You know, yeah, you <laughs> don't know. I mean, it's it's got to be impossible to run. And that's what the Heritage Foundation has been doing, setting up for when Trump wins. Because when Trump won, or if Trump wins, when Trump won the first time, Trump didn't know, he had no connections to like drain the swamp. So he just eventually... the. He had no other people to put in charge of this huge bureaucratic mechanism. So eventually the bureaucratic mechanism just kind of kept on doing the same thing. So the Heritage Foundation is trying to figure out how to how to install people who will push the the regulatory state in their desired direction, which is probably uh, minimalizing the bureaucratic state. But it's just such a huge this WEF stuff, the UN stuff. Like one one of one point that Jason makes in interviews with him, and he gets a lot of pushback on my channel because people want the easy answer, and he's like, "There's no easy answer. This stuff has been going on for 150 years. They they have systems within systems within systems within systems. It's all already going to happen. The only thing that you can do is find a, a, your own so- source of food and water because eventually they're going to come out with a shot, and they're going to tell you that you cannot eat unless you get this shot." We will cut off your credit. Well, that's kind of a pessimistic outlook. Like it's going yeah. to happen. We're we're on this train and we can't turn it around. I think there's so many, so many variables in the system though, aren't there? I mean, in and by in the system, I mean in in life. How can we be so certain? Yeah. And that's one of the things I think that 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 goes back to a conversation that Deborah and I were just having before you guys joined and before we went live about how the idea of social engineering, this idea that you can make bureaucratic decisions that apply then to broad swathes of humanity. It, it is, it's very perplexing to me how people think that they can manipulate simple variables and get any kind of predictable result with, or or get the result that they say that they're going for. Or, or I guess that depends on what result you think they're actually going for. Are they being honest with what they're trying to achieve? I, I saw this during, I mean, we all saw this during the COVID time when that was going on, when they were making these rules about how people couldn't leave their homes or that they needed certain shots or that they needed to wear certain garments and and so on and so forth. It was astounding to me that you could have a high level dictate like that that then would would apply to everyone and and that anybody would think that this wouldn't be a giant mess it's you can't manipulate these simple unilateral variables and have some kind of uh, predictable easy outcome based on that it it touches so many other things but but the the fact of the matter is is that it is so 
stacked in favor of the systems of bureaucracy uh, that to imagine that you can dismantle it is probably fallacious the idea that the people running it are stupid creatures who are motivated principally by self-interest and ultimately they aren't going to achieve like unilateral control over everything is probably that's it, wise and optimistic um and uh, somebody sent in chat that all the uh, the the people who came up to Davos and dressed them down, that's all controlled opposition. That's a nice little um, thought, too. It's like, uh, <laughs> they're brought up there to, so, to give us a little uh, – to release a little pressure mm -hmm. that we get every time people say that we're um, masters of the universe, um, maniacal. Oh. We, we are, and, and we admit it, and here we are. We, can, we are so comfortable in our role of in control of you that we will let you – with your esteemed leaders, your little populist presidents come up here and, and dress us down a little bit. Well, that's actually a pretty good strategy if you think about it. I mean, offering the opportunity for people to be heard makes people feel like they've been heard and then they sit back a little bit easier. Yeah. Snatch mm. victory from the jaws um, of defeat. Do you want to word. send me that link in the, send it in our chat and I can post it. It looks like the link you were trying to post didn't show up. Yeah, there you go. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> uh, this is just from Twitter. Jennifer, what are Twitter? some thoughts you have? thinking about what Ben said a moment ago, you know, about the, the whole concept of, you know, if you don't get this shot, then, you know, we can, we can cut off your resources, your access to this, that, and the other. And I, I do have that, that concern, not just about the shot, but about anything, you know, if you, if you um, have driven too many miles this week, if you uh, made a comment on social media um, if you know, whatever the case may be, you've bought more than your allotment of meat for the week. And so therefore you, you don't have access to your credit card or your bank account. I do worry about that because as we become more and more technologically advanced, we are in so many ways more controllable. And I do find it frightening because I don't have that kind of faith in humans to think, oh, nobody would want to mess around with that because surely everybody is wise enough to realize that that could be turned against them. And so it's in everybody's interest to, um, to sort of play nice and be wise and not try to gain that level of control. I don't have that faith that people won't enact that um, level of sort of techno-fascism. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it freaks me out and I'm kind of selfishly, you know, I'm just glad. I, I just think things are <laughs> not to be a horrible, pessimistic person, oh, no. but I just think, I, know, I, think, say. I, know I too. think things you do. <laughs> you're, yeah. Let's see if you're <laughs> okay. Well, I'll say it. And then you tell me whatever it was, if it was what you thought. I'm just like glad that I'm in my friggin' fifties <laughs> and I'm not in my twenties because I'm like, yeah. before it gets too fucking crazy, I'm uh, like, I've had my fun. I can check out, you know, that's so selfish. I do care about future generations, but mm. you know, God knows I can't control all the stuff that's going to happen. So, so you guys knew I was going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. I was, and I was going to make a veiled uh, uh, mental pause uh, reference, but I'm not <laughs> sure if that's appropriate or not. So I'm no. like, I'm irritable and predictable now. Predictably <laughs> <laughs> irritable. You know, I don't know if you guys saw, uh, maybe I'll, I'll put it on solid ground. Um, Rasmussen just did a poll looking at uh, people's views around things like uh, eating less meat or you know whatever it was, and it really split on elite versus working class. So it was all the elite people were like, sure, I'd be willing to not have this and whatever, right? Like whatever these measures that might be restrictive, mm -hmm. I'd be happy to be restricted. And it just furiously divided. You know, like how do you define elite? Um, I think it was, I don't know if they had $150,000. I forget where the breakdown mm. was, but it was just, again, it was the luxury belief kind of thing. You know, you, well, not luxury belief, but it just seemed like anyone that was in a really good position who wasn't struggling. And, you know, maybe they're sincere. Maybe they, they don't care if they have meat or they don't care, whatever. Um, but, it, you know, obviously the working class people who are trying to just, you know, pay for their basics mm. um, are not looking too keenly on any of this. And, it's, it's weird because I actually, I'm really a minimalist and I frankly don't mind, like I kind of like barely using anything mm -hmm. <laughs> by nature, you know? And so when- But is it things... different that it's your choice? 
Well, that would be maybe weirder, you know, um, I, I'd have to see what that was like. When I first heard of these sorts of things, of course, it seemed to me like, well, yes, you know, like we're wasting and and all of this. It seemed like I, I'd be happy to do that. But no, I don't like anybody controlling anything. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> One of the things I, I thought was really interesting in this was Margaret Sanger's role in developing in, in population control. And that, that was Planned Parenthood lady. Yeah. And she was really, uh, she was a part of these global population control meetings and this endeavor to change to, to change the, the wrong kind of people were having too many babies was the message. Yep. The wrong kind of people are having too many babies <laughs> and the right kind of people aren't <laughs> having enough babies. And so how do we change this? And as they were, you you alluded to this a little while ago, Benjamin, about the linguistic uh, manipulations. And when they were trying to market the idea of birth control, they're having this meeting about who, what do we call this? And so they yeah. came up with all the, and I don't remember all of the things that they, that they brainstormed, but one of them was race control. Race control. Yeah. Race mm. control. And then they settled on birth control because that sounded warm and fuzzy and they thought that they could get people on board with that. And that it, it's really interesting. Jennifer, I'm sorry. I cut wow. you off. You were about to say something when I brought that up. What was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say that I think a lot of people who think, oh, I don't mind being restricted and having less of this or that. I think they think they don't mind until they do mind. Because people <laughs> in the West, we are used to such a high level of comfort. Just watch that show, House Hunters. And you see people going in perfectly gorgeous houses and going, no, this doesn't have his or her sinks, his and her sinks in the bathroom. No, this won't do. Bullshit. They're going to go without stuff. They think they will because they're virtue signaling to themselves. If they can't get something that they want, they're going to be totally <laughs> furious. I just don't believe it. I think it's all theoretical. Well, I think that there's a huge difference between deciding for yourself and taking pride in living a pretty aesthetic life and and having you know you can there are a lot of people who think that it's very valuable to live a minimalist life and have plenty of resources where they don't have to live that way but but that's that's a part right of their value but, but they still totally choose different. they yeah. still choose what they prioritize like right. they may decide i'm gonna have a minimal amount of furniture i'm gonna grow my own food but i'm still gonna prioritize taking trips to europe and I think that's fine. That's cool. But they are still getting to choose what they prioritize and what they give up and what they ration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like that's the difference between um, a life of agency and living in a prison is, yeah. is choice. Yeah, exactly. And sorry, I don't mean to wave around <laughs> the chewed Ooh, up dog. What are you waving this time? Is it an esophagus <laughs> it's a, again? It's a, no, this is a, I don't know what it is. It's some nasty bone that prevents my puppy from going around biting every single thing in the <laughs> house. So, <laughs> You guys remember what Obama started to do? Nudging. Uh, Obama, he's the president that... Um, a great deal of <laughs> us uh, believed was the uh, you know the crowning achievement, the end of history for for the race uh, mm. uh, progress uh, of race. But he he ended the um, the stricture on government having um, like government couldn't propagandize over the airwaves, and he he let that go. And then mm -hmm. he, he started to popularize within government the idea of nudging the population because the the population doesn't really understand what what is good for them and we do uh, but we can't tell them what to do so we're just going to start to nudge them and we're, we're going to get them to we're going to position them to you know go in the direction that we want them to go and um and you also see that uh, on the really bad I, I don't necessarily like thinking about it but the just the political atmosphere on our country and the way that the um like with the Hillary Clinton kind of like we are the right ones. It's it's my time. It's it's our time. And anybody against us is kind of like the deplorables, you know. And and they're the people who just won't come along with us. And we need to stop them from voting in order for democracy to 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 be safe. Because if people voted for what they wanted, it would be the end of democracy. So I don't know what how the word democracy functions in that statement, but it is kind of <laughs> like this. 
I think that I think it's the same attitude that we see closer to home as opposed to the UN working middle meddling around in, in Africa. They're meddling around with us in our heads, you know. And so what I think Jason brought up in our conversation, the last conversation I had with him, is that yeah, you can you can complain and moan about this, but they have systems within systems within systems within systems, and they control all of the networks for you to get your food. They control all, or they're very close to controlling all the waterworks, all of the electricity, and yeah, you pro it's it's very much easier to pay with a credit card than with cash. And even if you're a holdout for the cash system, so many people are on the credit system that it doesn't even matter. They have. They have the systems in place and eventually maybe with technocracy or like with AI, they have everything to come in and really organize and nudge you even further. The social credit system is a is a reality in communist China. It's, it's wonderful. I guess you mm -hmm. probably guys already know this, that there's apps that will show you when you're within a block of an undesirable. And if you're seeing... Yep. If you're seen too close to the undesirable, then you'll start... Your credit will go down too. So... We are we are set up to go towards you know that that communist China model. How do we avoid doing that? I don't know, but I mean I, I guess we still have the ability to talk about it to a certain degree, and we do have a a, a certain degree to upset the system by, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in thinking like that that sending Trump back to this uh, office of the president, whatever that actually means. And and using that as a big fu to the system, maybe I'm wrong that that's going to have any sort of power whatsoever. It might just punch it a little bit down. It might punch it a little bit further in the direction of deflating it. But I don't know. Mm. So I, Leslie, you bring up. I think we go back and forth between being pessimists and awesome uh, awesomeness of optimists. <laughs> 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 but we we just switch positions on what we're pessimistic about and what we're optimistic about. It seems like in our in our day to day discussions on these issues, I just don't know where where you land on this. Yeah, I think you're right. I I don't know. That's quite a black pill to think that we're already set up for that. But we I know in some ways we are. I just hope that the administrators are sloppier than they think. I think that they underestimate people, and I think that they do. That's that is what they're doing. They're underestimating the worth of people when they decide who is of value and who isn't. And then they underestimate the the ingenuity and the uh, the desire for agency that is within people that will find a way. And so I tend to be pretty much more optimistic about our chances of pulling our way out of something like this. And coming back to the idea of nudging, I I wonder to what extent is that a positive method of social change to what extent is that actually a desirable method of social of, of of influencing social change if you can make people think that it was their idea then they do something with they take it on themselves even thinking like deborah you're talking about this this idea of minimalism right that i i know that's there's been a, a pride i i can remember being in a like a, a pretty conservative area uh, in my twenties, um, where for instance, things like recycling, there were some people who thought it was important and most people thought it was stupid, you know, it's stupid to recycle. Or, you know, I drove a small car and I remember somebody making fun of it, calling it a roller skate because they, you know, they love their big trucks and they like their, their, their big, powerful engines and stuff. And so there were those of us who were more, uh, more progressive minded and more wanting to do things that were environmentally, whatever. And I was a vegetarian. And so I, there was this like sense that you were, I'm taking on these ideas and they're my own and they felt like my own. And I felt empowered within them. And maybe mm -hmm. I had been influenced from outside. Maybe, maybe that mindset was influenced by the sort of David Attenborough feel guilty about being a human set, but for whatever reason, it felt like my own. So I felt empowered within that mindset. And so there's that idea of like, do, am, do I feel like I have agency and desire to do this thing? Or is it being forced upon me from outside? And if that those same activities and actions had been forced on me from outside, I would have, it would have been a completely different thing. And so if you want, if you do, let's just say that it's possible to have some kind of a high level view of 
human systems. And if you do see that, oh, this thing is, uh, this this thing is leading towards population self-destruction or or difficulty or we're wiping out the the fish in this whatever blah 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 instead of being authoritarian using powers of persuasion is that not a better way to do that and is it not something that everybody tries to do in this in the in the larger uh social conversations like to some extent i I'm, I know that one of the things that I have said about the solid ground conversations, for instance, is that it, it's an open conversation that we're not afraid to explore different ideas and feel um, <clears throat> feel okay with being wrong or or being experimental with our thought or saying things that are not PC or whatever. We're not, and part of the reason for doing that in public is because people have become so bound up with fear about what they can talk about and what they can't talk about. And so we're trying to, to some extent, what demonstrate nudge influence. Is there, is there some of that that's present even in those kind of conversations? And so uh, tell me what you guys think about that. Well, there's a difference between a citizen doing that and the government doing that. Okay. Are you asking what's the difference? Or are you saying and using techniques like subtle okay. techniques? Like didn't they have in the UK, they actually had a nudge unit around COVID. It was called the nudge unit. So you imagine <laughs> that they're, 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 you know, they're wording things. They probably did some studies to see what psychologically, you know what I mean? I think there's, if you think you're doing some manipulating, that's probably a nudge versus oh, I'm just telling you something, some information that you might choose to take. So up. it's different from persuasion. It feels like there's a little extra in there. Okay. What do you think, Benjamin? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm I'm thinking of uh, this. Uh, I think it's the uh, open uh, open letter to open minded progressives by Mencius Mulkbug, aka Curtis Yarvin. I think it's that essay. He goes in and he kind of breaks down government. From a libertarian point of view, which is a very autistic, almost anti-human, but certainly a human way of looking at things when he gets into systems theory. But he says that no matter what human beings, if you look at what a human being is, it's a violent, social, bipedal creature. There's no like human, just forget that there's a human soul. Like it's just, it's a violent, social, bipedal human uh, creature. And it's always been killing each other like it just kills each other all the time and how it's developed beyond just being little bands killing each other is that it comes into bigger and bigger communities where order is imposed and there's always going to be order and order is going to be imposed either by force or by manipulation and what would you rather have like absolute force out your door or kind of soft force in your head do you want to manipulate controlling you on the inside by educating your children by kind of putting out these ideas and the media and stuff, or do you want it to just to say, okay, these are the rules. If you violate these rules, you will be punished. Here are the rules. Bam. That's all you have to do. Instead of like, these are the rules, but like we want to be progressive and we have these ideas about freedom and liberty and justice and stuff, these squishy terms. And so from his point of view, he's trying to like deconstruct everything down to like this very autistic level that I don't think is actually practical. Practical, But when you kind of cut through the bullshit a little bit and you say, okay, everybody's just kind of using these soft, big words that make them feel good in order to manipulate each other. There's just a whole bunch of manipulation going on. Which would you rather have? Somebody in your head or just somebody outside your door? And mm -hmm. he, he makes kind of a strong case for like, I, I'd just rather have like every, there's this one line, I'm going to butcher it. Every, every um, municipality in the history of municipality doesn't need a law that says don't stand in front of a bus. There's no law that says don't stand in front of a bus, a moving bus, because you're just going to get run over. But that is the that's a natural law. Everybody just knows that it's just assumed. And it would be great to have government just like all government does is it's just it it's just purely working on certain forms of order and not trying to control the minds of the population. And because we live in a messy world, it's going to do both. Somebody's talking about bonobos. Uh, yeah, I think, well, it's very interesting. Which do you want? I, I, I have wondered, for instance, in terms of manipulation, 
you know, you go back to these people talking about birth control and something that I've wondered doesn't seem so far-fetched. And it's this idea. I remember saying this when I was in my teens and twenties, I was concerned about population. I was thinking about how many kids I should have when I, you know, how many, what is the most kids a person should have? I, maybe I shouldn't have any children. Maybe we have a responsibility not to have children because the world is overpopulated and you want to be, you know, really careful around, around this. So um, I can remember saying, and I would have these arguments with my mother because my mother was really, she was on the other end of the political spectrum for me. She was pretty conservative as the way that we look at it now. We didn't really call it liberal and conservative at that point, but it was just, she was on a, a different side of things usually. And I can remember saying the best thing for the planet would be if more people would be gay. <laughs> And I was like, I was in support of, I had, you know, I was always the support, the gay, gay rights, gay marriage, stuff like this. But, and part of that was because I had friends that were gay and I wanted, I felt like they deserved the same rights that everybody else had. And that was my position on, on uh, love and, and voluntary relationship was that it shouldn't be a government, the government shouldn't block it and people shouldn't block people from being able to engage in voluntary uh, love relationships. Um, but also because I felt like it was a, an environmental good to promote more relationships that are unlikely to be reproductive. And so then you look at what we're doing right now and you have the, you have the UN, UNESCO, the WHO promoting uh, alternative sexual identities and, and promoting options where kids are going to go towards sterilization. And I think, well, did somebody else just have the same idea that I had, but a lot more power to produce results? And have we nudged a whole generation of kids? Have we nudged them into, into exploring alternative sexual identity in order to reduce population? Benjamin, didn't you talk about that in your conversation with Jason? Because I was just looking at it. And didn't he find some things actually written about this particular, let's kind of maybe have people be more lgbt whatever like somewhere in the documents uh you know what like there's probably something there but there's also something that was kind of debunked it was about like it was fear-mongering around they want to turn your kids gay kind of stuff from um the 60s 70s or 80s there was some some pastor or some christian fundamentalists who were worried about that um and they accused it of having a gay agenda um and it is easy there's this phrase that i mistook for a long time called globo homo <laughs> i always thought i always thought it was about like this is just the gay agenda you know but it's actually global homogenization oh. just like they want everything to be an airport <laughs> um but there is something fake and gay and retarded about the whole thing you know like the triumvirate of, of cringe going on there <laughs> globo homo sounds like a, a globe trotting homosexual getting laid all over the world it sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> oh man if you really want to know how aids became the crisis it was there was an airport there was like this steward who was going around and having like hundreds of partners every week he was just flying all over the place just spreading aids like it's crazy like is he, that he, real kind of is suppressed yeah no there's like this whole it's a really shady website, but it's got all the documents on it because you're not supposed to know about how like in how like psychotic this the the super super I have, spreader. I've heard about that. Yeah, I super heard about spreader. that years ago before NPR got really, really, you know, yeah. sort of bound to a particular narrative. They did this deep dive into the origin of AIDS, and that um, was mentioned as one of the um, sort of Global points Global. of early early spread. Yeah. Yeah. There, but um, I, I had a conversation with Kay Yang. Uh, I've had I've had her on twice. She is a, uh, I guess, a women's rights activist at this point in time. But she had gone through training and was doing a lot of the LGBT outreach on behalf of UNESCO. And she is very anti that now because it's ultimately anti-woman um, from her point of view because it has adopted the trans identity or the trans agenda. 
and stuff like that. But what she says is that they were they were given tons of funding to go out and spread this spread this message. It's all under packaged under anti bullying and kindness and tolerance. But it's all about like you know what, kid, you're probably actually a girl, so take these drugs and don't produce sperm anymore. You know what, boy, you're probably not actually a girl. Take these drugs, take off your tits, and not reproduce anymore. Like there is, it totally aligns whether intentionally or not with population control it is eugenics it's the eugenics that is actually and i don't think it was intentionally but it's perfectly aimed to eradicate the upper middle class the upper middle white waspy class it's it's, it's a perfectly it's like the you know the these abortion clinics that are actually uh ending more black babies than black people are populated especially in the new york like there's more babies black babies aborted than there are black babies being actually born you know just like planned parenthood even though it didn't want to admit this was designed to go into the these black population centers and curb population growth i think this trans identity is perfectly designed to go right into the heads of these upper middle class affluent um affluenza prone teenagers and then to end that race to to targetedly end or curb the growth of that race well, you know what, it also, I mean, not maybe it wasn't intentional, but when you do see the high percentage of either like autistic youth or youth with mental health issues having gravitated, like that looks, I mean, I, I wouldn't make it targeted, but like if we're going to get, they're going to get eugenics, like let's just get rid of that, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but it just seems to be that that's a group that has gravitated towards yeah. the transing phenomenon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And Jennifer's dog agrees. <laughs> here, here, <laughs> from the pissy dog. Well, and and moving off of, um, I guess, I, I guess this is a without a segue, just back into uh, other kinds of nudging and other kinds of controlling of people's movements. The car thing. I was listening recently to jordan peterson talking with lawrence fox about this about uh have you did you see that one deborah about cars in in britain they were the in the uk thing. the the monitors the, the, the yeah. monitors and the monitors were i think in order to watch ultimately watch your movements and see that you don't go so far outside of your area that you're supposed to be in and um controlling gas car sales and washington state i believe passed a law saying that we aren't going to be able to have gas cars after 2035 banning the sale of gas cars after that time and i don't know if it's banning the ownership of that and i think that went along pretty quietly because it's so far out it feels far out it's not really that far out but it feels far out it's not like it's next year it's a little down the road and so i I, I know in myself, when I see that, I'm like, well, but maybe there's a chance to still turn that around before it gets here. So I don't get so alarmed. It's just outside of the the threshold of, of, you know, raising our hackles too much, I think. But this is really concerning that we, you know, you go to these electric vehicles, which we've seen are not any, in, uh, any better on the environment. You look at how they mine the stuff for these batteries, batteries and how yeah. happy these batteries are not, and, and how much energy it takes to uh, to fuel these batteries the coal fired energy the same way so yeah. it's not they they don't provide a benefit to the environment in terms of cleanliness or improving lives but what they do provide is a, a real limitation on how far you can travel that's so creepy. It was the same week that California declared that by this date we're ending gas cars and that that like within a couple of days like their electrical grid was going down and they were telling everybody to use less electricity so it's That's like, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah, we don't have the electric grid to support everybody no, having I guess that's the buzzword but I don't I don't know the math but people say well not without nuclear so but i don't know that's just mm -hmm. something that i'm repeating without knowing what i'm talking about you know it's hard too like these things like when i first heard of the 15 minute cities and i don't know if whoever designed them had these more global control plans like it actually sounded like a good idea like oh especially say in a poor area that does not have grocery stores and doesn't have the doctor nearby and has poor public transit it seemed really great if you would have in about a 15 minute walk all these types of services like and why do like, they not have those services you know yeah well i don't know an impoverished well, area right there's so like, it's not safe. 
you know, whatever. But but then when you start seeing, that's why I've had to sort of fight both sides of the 15 minute cities because some people like think it was nefarious from the get go. I mean, maybe it was and other people are like, oh my God, they're totally controlling you right now. And I'm not sure if it's quite that, but let's just say the design is set up in a way that you could do a lot of surveillance with it, um, whether it was intended or not. Um, and then that to me becomes a big problem. Yeah, it Everybody's does seem like a good show. thing. As a Truman Show. Ugh. Yeah, the 15 minute city sounds like a fantastic idea as long as it's not compulsory, as long as there's not a compulsory and surveillance element. Yeah, like checkpoints, this. like when you can come in or out or you can't, you know, all mm -hmm. that business. Mm -hmm. yeah. Black pill. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Well, I mean, oh. you know, everybody wants to live in a gated community. Ugh. As long no? as the gates are to keep people out and not keep yeah, exactly. you in. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's, there's trade-offs. This uh, At the end of this conversation, this is the only thing that I know for certain. It's that there are no solutions. There's only trade-offs. That's my Sawalian. Right. That's just what I'm going to say. It's like there's always going to be trade-offs. There's no solutions. Uh, That's right. Uh, all solutions, no... all solutions cause new problems. That's yeah. absolutely true for anything, whether if it's something macro or micro. Yeah. So it seems like humility, like knowing one's uncertain. Um, what's the other one they talk about sometimes? Moving from a command and control to an uh, what do you call it? Dynamic steering model of hmm. operating with circumstance. I know there's some leadership uh, theories. You I know, don't. Out there that I don't been... know those. Okay phrases what does that mean yeah well they're moving more for, you know like so many you know used to be companies would do let's do the five-year plan like even companies not like china but like let's plan out and you start realizing it's a much more uncertain world with everything yeah. changing so fast can you move your decision making processes you know and what you're going to do as a company and what you're going to make more of or not and do it more like you know with a car with dynamic steering you're getting feedback and then you can adjust. It's not like you have something that's so rigid that if you go like this, the whole, you know, thing is out of yeah. kilter. Yeah. So what you know, how do you design even your interior decision making as a company, say, to be more fluid with that and instead and not necessarily know what you're going to do even next year? And that does require like organizational structures and stuff that can actually people can kind of do those pivots. Yeah. I don't know if that many companies are doing it, but that was becoming more in vogue in like maybe the last 20 years or 10 years at least. Yeah, I, I think that um, more people should read James Burnham's The Machiavellians. It's a little dated, um, but it lays out a, it lays out some theories of power that we don't like looking at because we just don't want to admit the reality of power. Um we, we, we like to think of power as kind of evil, control is evil, like don't tell other people what to do. But the fact is, is that human beings are social animals and social animals organize and orchestrate. And to kind of take a hard line view of that and really look at it is uh, it's a black pill, but it's also liberating in a way because you're like, oh, I don't have to change like these I, why am I constantly disappointed in democracy? You're like, well, democracy is just chaos and tyranny like dressed up like that's all it is like okay well i don't have to be disappointed in it anymore i can just like eye it with the with the skepticism that it deserves yes be skeptical of power but also be realist mm -hmm. and there's a benefit to having power there's a benefit to having roads and electrical grids that work absolutely you know, yeah it's benefit not living in south africa i'm sorry mm -hmm. but south africa's nope. system is inferior to Monroe, the city of Monroe's uh, system, or those, uh, you know, Seattle system, so far as it can stand. But, you know, even in Washington, even in Washington, they pine for like the, the equity department in Washington. The, their first president was talking about how we should try to be more like South Africa, mm. unironically, because in South Africa, in the middle of a meeting, when Joe walks into the meeting, we don't just keep on with the meeting. We stop what we're doing. We give him a warm hug. We we connect with Joe while the power kind of just fuck's sake. For fuck's so. sake. I can send it's you the so, clip. It's just so therapized. And I'm a therapist. Oh, okay. so why there does everything have to be like stroking, stroking for fuck's sake it's a meeting oh i can't stand it it's so vaginal <laughs> just no i, I no, knew you're gonna do no. you're gonna go there it's just 
you know what I mean though. It's just like the for fuck's sake. Like can't you just government. Like, yeah, it's just nauseating. I mean, and God knows you sneak into a business meeting late. You kind of don't want to be noticed. You don't want everyone stopping and pawing at you for crying out loud. Anywho, don't yeah. mind me. Uh, bring the spice. That's what I'm saying. We should have started the recording earlier when you're really going on. <laughs> I've been, I'm containing myself. I'm containing myself. It's back to this, you know, are we in a parental model, right? Or, you know, it sounds like we would want to be in something where people are being treated more as adults and you're conferred with, you get to have an opinion about something. You're not treated like a baby. You take the consequences of your choices as opposed to like, we're going to take care of you and you're mm-hmm. going to make you safe. But like, yeah. God, they had a thing. Where was it that they said you can't go tobogganing? Was that in Canada? Somewhere recently, there's like a law you can't like toboggan in a certain because you get hurt, you know, and um, I mean, things like that are just ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> right. No it no seems like the, the pendulum has swung too far towards central control and toward outsourcing our own agency and i i just this is i we need as far as i'm concerned it seems like it it, what's really needed is a uh more individual person radical responsibility personal responsibility and how do you you can't tell somebody else to do that because as soon as you've told somebody else to do that you violated that principle but i think (laughs) that what is sorely missing is personal responsibility and and looking at and the word boundaries i know that's over therapized as well but i think that it has a good place it's looking at the boundary between you and someone else and saying do i have is it my do i need to be the ally do i need to be the activist do i need to always be putting myself in front of other people's needs and advocating for other people mm-hmm. or should i just take radical responsibility for myself and you know it doesn't mean don't help others it doesn't mean don't be uh friendly and compassionate but to put more of your energy into solving other problems that are outside of the self rather than within the self i think is misplacing our our personal agency and our responsibility and i just get nervous about all the outsourcing like say i mean i've been trying not to even do use chat gpt or any of these like anywhere where we're kind of like let me let someone else fix it let it, it think for me let it write for me let it and i'm just like no don't don't do it hmm. yeah well any final thoughts on um this particular video or video series <laughs> I think I think in in certain respects the only way out is through on one level I totally agree with you Leslie in ideal you world actually agree with me on in this? the ideal world your liberal worldview would actually pan out um, but so I agree with you as an ideal that everybody should take their responsibility radical responsibility for everything uh, I also see that we do have a huge centralized. Uh, power network that's not going to just let us go so um the only way out is through is throwing a caesar at it that completely dismantles it by by collapsing that centralization into the figure of one person and then through that shattering the thing and then we can go back to liberate hmm. we need to be liberated from the system and i, I think that know. a conquering father figure is the way to, to take, sounds... take over the longhouse it's all longhoused it's all been longhoused it's all vaginal networks parallel i think we need it's all the matrix it's all the matrix somebody needs to come in there and like unplug it it's got to be it's going to be it's going to collapse on the action of a single masculine figure do you know what that sounds like that sounds like the antichrist okay i mean this is satan we're just this is the way of the world i'm not saying that it's it's just the way of the world i'm not saying i want Uh, I'm not saying I want to obey one guy, but I'm saying the only way to liberate us is for one person to actually take one radical responsibility of the entire system. If you want, if you want, want, yeah, radical responsibility of the entire system in order to disband it, in order to chop off the entire head, go up there, Uh, completely uh, get elected by a mandate. 
that I'm going to completely cut off the heads of every single bureaucratic organization in the United States. We're all going to give people uh, enough money to go go off. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to do anything wrong. We don't want you around anymore. We're just going to uh, just send you all home. It's only one person, only a king is going to be able to do that. Only an American Caesar is actually going to change the direction. I'm I, looking for the thumbs down I, reaction. There it is. Oh, Benjamin, like Benjamin is yeah. becoming a monarchist, man. <laughs> he is. I know. It makes more sense than liberal liberty. We're just going to like, everybody's just going to simultaneously walk away from the system, walk away from their $50,000, $150,000 a year DEI jobs. They're not going to give these things up. They're not going to give up their bureaucratic positions. And you can't convince Fascinating. them. Fascinating. You, you can't make an organization that will pay them off. There's only one way to do it, and is to cut it off from the top. And it's got to be one person takes radical responsibility of the entire system and reforms it from the bottom up. Oh, there's so many like, possibilities. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> wow! You're only the set. I've only met two monarchists. You're the second monarchist I've met. I like the monarchists. I don't know that I agree, but there's just you guys have style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Clem sixty two in the chat cool. says, "Run, Leslie." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, run to get yeah. me some coffee. Like, yeah, right. all, I'll get you. I'll bring you coffee. Thank you. Yeah, I um I don't agree at all, but it's really entertaining to hear that. I am much more of a libertarian myself. You got yourself a live one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you for, for being part of the chat. And thanks, Benjamin, for uh, doing this conversation with us. Plug, uh, everybody shook on YouTube. Everybody should check out Jason's stuff. It's absolutely, it's, it's, the production values are just phenomenal and the content is really good. Oh, it absolutely. It's really, really good stuff. So please go check out his videos. I'll put another, I'll put the link under the um, video after I get the notes put in. And we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Bye. 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 Thank you.